we are uh, in the end, the closing stages in our study in Daniel. We started this a number of months back, um, in January actually, a look into the prophetic book of Daniel. And here we are on May 19th, some four months later, finally going to wrap this thing up and uh, cross that off of our to-do list, right? So our time in this particular book has stretched me um, and challenged me more than I expected in preparation. I'm not going to lie. It's been, it has driven me to study in, uh, with, with a, some, a deeper investment of hours because uh, some of the stuff that we're finding in Daniel is just blowing my mind and requires it. Um, and so it, I hope it's been an encouraging challenge for you as well as we've gone through this together. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And we've observed a lot from the life of Daniel, this, um, <laughs> this Hebrew exile turned advisor to the kings of Babylon and Persia. And today in Daniel chapter 12, we're just going to read the closing verses of this book. I'm going to make a few observations on this passage and then kind of do a synthesis, a summary of the entire book. What are the things that we learn as a congregation from the entirety of this series? And I think you'll be encouraged this morning uh, by what the Lord would teach us. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read all the way to verse 13. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. All right. Well, that should be fun. Here's make, make a few observations on this closing portion. Remember, this is the final hurrah of a three-chapter uh, vision. Chapter 10, 11, and 12 are one prophetic unit. Right? We saw the, the man clothed in linen hovering above the waters. Right? And he gave Daniel that, that vision. It terrified him. He fell down on the, 
on the ground. And then we heard, we heard that the angel arrived, but he had to come late because he was fighting with another angel. And he finally got there and he showed him the picture of what is to come, right? So, so we are we're aware that what we're hearing today is a continuation of the last two chapters. And, and a couple weeks ago, we looked at the kings of the north and the kings of the south and this like never-ending battle that was happening between the Syrian kings um, in the north and the Egyptian kings in the south. And here he says, at that time, at what time? The time that we're just talking about, when Antichrist was killed, when he dies alone with no one to help him, at the time of the end, at that time, not a new time, but at that time, Michael arises, this powerful angel that God has given charge over his people. He's appointed him to watch over his people, just like we saw in chapter 10. And although this is a bit challenging to us, because we're so focused on what we can observe and see and touch. The truth of the scriptures is that God has appointed powers and authorities in spiritual places and they rule over the events of human history and activity. And Michael the angel has arisen to care for and watch over God's people. And why does he have to come? Because there is a time of trouble that is going to be unleashed for God's people, such as has never been seen since there was a nation, since the nation of Israel was established until that time. There is a time of great tribulation coming against the Jews, a persecution, the most significant they've ever encountered. Now, Scholars would tell us then that we jump ahead to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, and it references this time of trouble, this great war against Satan, the dragon, and his angels during a three and a half year time of tribulation. Israel needs assistance from Michael because of the distress that they're going to endure. Jesus mentions this time of tribulation, we believe, in, in Matthew 24, where he takes Daniel's description here as a description of the last days. That it is the the tribulation will be so severe, according to Zechariah 13.8, that only half of the people of Israel will survive. But your people shall be delivered, he said. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. The good news in the trial of the great tribulation is that they will ultimately be rescued. The Lord will appear, he will save his people. All who, have, who, who are his people, those who have their name in the book. Those whose names have been written in the book. This is a reference to the book of life which contains the names of all of those who have been saved by God's grace, who have trusted Christ for their salvation. So many of us in this room heard the gospel message, knew that God was speaking to us about our sin, our need for Jesus as our savior, and our, our uh, need to trust him, to place our faith in him. And when that happens, the name is written in the book of life. Those who have their names written, they will be delivered from the great time of tribulation. And they, the righteous people, will, righteous people are ultimately going to reign victorious in the end. Look at verse 2. There's a, a, a message of, of resurrection. That at that time, many of those who sleep in the dust, those, are those who have died and been buried, many of them will rise to new life. That the dead will be raised. Some will be raised to everlasting life and some will be raised to shame and contempt. And these two groups couldn't be farther in part in life or in death and resurrection. One group followed God, submitted to his leadership, followed him in wisdom, 
They are the righteous people, the holy people, the ones who shine brightly, who lead others to the truth. These people will be resurrected to new life and they will shine like stars in the universe. But there are a group of people who reject the leadership of the Lord, who do not see Christ as their savior, who do not look to God for deliverance in faith. There are a group of people who do not lead their lives under his authority and under his rule and reign. And those people, according to the scriptures, they die in the dust and they are raised to contempt, to shame. They are the wicked, they are the foolish, they are the condemned. They are not righteous, they don't. They don't shine like stars forever and ever. Instead, their end is judgment and wrath from a righteous and a holy God. But the wise will shine but you, Daniel, he says, there's, there's coming a time of the end. The righteous will be raised to resurrection. The dead will be raised to contempt. Daniel, close up the book. Seal it up. The implied truth here is that, Daniel, this is for a later time. Daniel, this is not for you necessarily, but for something else. Don't you bother yourself anymore about this story. Close it up. Seal it for the coming day. And Daniel is a little bit confused. And we ask this question, okay, so when is this time of the end? We get that in the time of the end, there'll be great tribulation on God's people. Right? We understand that at the time of the end, it will be a time like no one has ever experienced, that the persecution will be so severe. And that at the end, there will be a resurrection to life and to judgment. When is this going to be? And that's what happens. There's two angels now that appear. So now we have three angelic visitors, a whole angel party in Daniel, watching what's going on, and the angelic visitors on both sides of the stream, somebody, one of the voices, asks the one who hovers over the waters, the man clothed in linen, they said to him, okay, so when is this going to happen? When, when will it all be? And the man clothed in linen raises his right hand and his left toward heaven. It's a sign of oath-taking. He is swearing, doubly swearing on the authority of the one in heaven, on the authority of the ancient of days. He is, he is confirming for them the authenticity of his statement. And he said it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Well, thanks for the clarity. Wow. A time, times, and half a time. We saw that phrase back in chapter 7 too, right? Many have interpreted this phrase to mean that three and a half years and have identified that time period as that half week of the great tribulation at the end of days. And that is certainly a possibility. And there are numerous other possibilities. Seek the scriptures. Try to find it out. What is clear and plain and obvious though is that the end that Daniel is hearing about is an ordained time that is beyond his own lifetime. It is sealed up for the future, and it is already decreed. That the Ancient of Days knows the end. That there is a very clear, defined end to the coming persecution that will fall on God's people. And even though the answer is a bit mysterious, there is still some great certainty bound up in that, isn't there? That the God we serve 
will allow this for a while, but in the end, at a time of his choosing that was pre-written before history, it will come to an end because he holds the times and the dates in his hand. And all the persecuted people of God and all the suffering and all the sick, the poor, the powerless, the discouraged, all throughout history have had the same confidence that this, this life of suffering and misery that we endure, this is not all that there is. This is as bad as it gets. And then it gets a whole lot better. Or as Pastor Duke would say, a whole lot gooder, right? There's coming a day when it's all made right. When the glorious kingdom of God will triumph over all the kingdoms of this world. There is a defined, preordained end to this suffering. Daniel says, say what? Look at verse 8. I'm so thankful. I heard, but I did not understand. That makes two of us. I love the fact that Daniel gets a front row seat to an angelic vision, gets an actual explanation from an angel himself, and still says, yeah, I I don't get it. I'm still confused. Because sometimes I look at the Bible a couple thousand years later, and I have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside me to guide me, the preserved word of God by his grace, and the gift of history to look back. And I look at it and go, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. There is a, there's a joy in, and a freedom in humility there. Lord, lead us. Show us what it is. He said, wait, I don't, I don't get it. What does it all mean? It's challenging. I suppose that it is a, there's a real possibility here that we're not even able to grasp it accurately, but I, I heard one pastor say recently, just because you can't understand everything about a passage doesn't mean you can't understand anything about that passage. There are still very clear, plain things for us to learn, even though we might not know the precise date of some of this. In fact, this same pastor said that the life of faith, whether we're talking about a prophet or you and I today, is a life lived in the realm of unanswered questions. Trusting God even when we don't fully understand what he's doing. And some of you are getting a crash course in that life of faith this week. So he gives a bit of a timeline. Verse 11. He says, go your way, Daniel, in verse 9, shut it up and seal it to the end. Many will purify themselves and make themselves white. Many will come to God. Many will be welcomed into his family. Many will be made righteous through faith. Still, same people, the wise, those who submit to God, those who are righteous and follow him, many will become righteous. The, the kingdom of God will grow, Daniel. It'll continue to grow in the future as people make themselves white, purified, and refined in God's righteousness. And during that time, there will also be those who act wickedly. Sometimes you look at the world around you and you wonder why it is that there's such a great distinction between those who seek God and those who don't and wonder why it is that wickedness seems to increase. It was all told to us in advance. The kingdom of God will continue to grow, but the kingdom of darkness is still here. And none of the wicked shall understand. They don't understand what's going on, but those who are wise understand. The wicked look at the events of the global stage and they go, wow, what a mess. The wise look at the events of the global stage and say, wow, what a God that he predicted this stuff. 
they'll understand. And then he says, here's a timeline. He says, look, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, many understand that to mean when Antiochus Epiphanes IV um, uh, did away with the Jewish uh, sacrificial system, and that abomination that makes desolate is set up when he offered swine's blood on the altar, there shall be 1,290 days. And blessed is he who arrives at the 13 and 35 days. Okay, so he gives a bit of a timeline, and some suggest to us that this takes us to the immediate time of Antiochus. Others see this not as literal, but as symbolic, and these numbers aren't actual days, but weeks of years, and that puts us square in the middle of the 69th and 70th week and kind of they work together with that and we could speculate all day about this precise fulfillment here again but what is clear on the big picture and the big picture's clarity will ultimately inform the uncertainty of the immediate right what is what we know to be certain and clear on the big picture is what drives our decisions in the immediate that is that the people of God will endure to the end come what may And the end is not some random surprise, but has been predetermined by a sovereign God who holds these things within his hand. And what is true of prophecy will again be true of this one. When the events have occurred, those who are wise will look back and say, ah, that's what it was. This this might come as a shock, but the words of prophecy were not given to you so you could look like, like the wizard in the Wizard of Oz and stare in some crystal ball and predict everything that was about to happen. In fact, prophecy is not designed to do that at all. Prophecy is designed to call people, to alert people, to draw them to repentance and faith in God. And so the, the, um, the way that prophecy works is not necessarily to foretell the future, but as it's happening for you to look back through the revelation of God and say, oh, he's faithful and he's just and his word is true and he can be trusted. When all that happens, those who are wise are going to be able to see it clearly. And until that happens, those of us who are alive and remain keep making the weird guesses that we do. Oh, this is Gorbachev. Has to be. Yeah, it wasn't. No, this is the guy from North Korea. Nope. Some of you thought it was our former president. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. We could speculate all the reformers thought it was the Pope. They were wrong by a few hundred years. We could speculate all day, but what we know is clear and true is that when it all happens, we will look back through the lens of the revelation of God and history and say, ah, that's what he meant. I get it. But you, Daniel, you go on your way. I love this. Sounds a lot like the end of the Gospel of John, right? Look, if I want to do something with him, what's that to you? You be quiet and follow me. Daniel, don't you worry your pretty little head about this anymore. He's like, wait a minute, you just gave me a vision of the end of days. Yeah, don't worry about that. Just close it up, seal it up, and you go about your business to the end. You shall rest, you're gonna die, right? And you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. You're gonna find a resurrection in the Lord and you're gonna take your place at the end. Okay, so... Until then, he says, just go ahead, you you continue walking in faithfulness. So Daniel gets a vision and an explanation, doesn't understand it. And he was never given a clearer explanation than that, was he? No, not at all. And what is more, he's essentially told, Daniel, this great contribution you just made to the posterity of God's kingdom, 
doesn't really concern you beyond right now. In fact, Daniel, you've done your part by serving to be the chosen instrument as an advisor to the kings of Babylon and Persia, as a discerner of dreams and visions, as an example of integrity, and as the recorder of this prophecy. You've been faithful in all of that. But much of what I shared for you, Daniel, isn't even for you. Wow. Now this is going to strike at that individualistic heart of our American psyche. But it is possible, and I would say probable, that a lot of the significant events in your life, in the end, aren't even about you. So much of what happens to us is examined and criticized almost neurotically by us. We wake up in the middle of the night wondering, did I do something wrong? Could I have done it different? What does it all mean? Trying to discern the times. And and in the end, we don't get an explanation. In fact, God has never promised to give you a clear explanation on this side of eternity. You will know as he knows in one, one day, for sure. But that's not now. And it's possible that the trial you face, the persecution you endure, the uncertainty, the fear, the discord, the sickness and illness, all the mess of your life, it's possible that in the end it's not even for you. It's possible you've been called to steward it, to point people to Jesus. Maybe it's your kids watching you struggle with grace. Maybe it's watching family members who don't understand how you're grieving and still finding hope. Maybe it's your church family watching you hold on to hope for reconciliation. Maybe it's not about you at all. Sounds a lot like Hebrews 11, doesn't it? These great heroes of the faith who die in faith, never having seen the fulfillment of the promise, and yet they were faithful just the same. That is why, dear friends, it is not wise of us in trial to seek an answer immediately. It's not wise for us to throw up our hands and say, God, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? But instead to say, God, strengthen me for whatever you have. And with that, the book of Daniel closes. And the story of his life has been written and the story of Gentile history spelled out in seed form. So what? What does it have to do with you and me today? First, The events contained here in this vision were to take place in a time that was not Daniel's. It was a future time, a time of the end. And it's described as a time when it appears as though all the hope is gone for the people of God. And I want you to hear this today, right? It says that that time will come. uh, Where are we? Don't worry, I'll find it. Is it verse 11? Where, where it talks about how they're shattering. Why do I not have it here? Somebody yell it out if you see it. We're all preaching here today. Is it seven? Yes. I heard the man who was above, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, for the time, time, half a time. When the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. Right? Okay. So... The holy people are God's people, that they had power and it was destroyed from them. It was taken from them. They were were worn out. They were persecuted and, and almost snuffed out. 
It's a time when it appears that all hope is gone for the people of God. That's when he shows up. And we must never forget that the greatest things that God has done in our lives, the greatest acts of deliverance and the greatest displays of his power have come to us when it appears that all hope is gone. And that is the story of the redemptive drama, right? Adam and Eve sin and break God's law and it looks like all hope is lost, but they receive a promise. And wickedness overtakes the world and judgment is about to fall, but God leads Noah to build an ark and saves his family. Abraham and Sarah are old and advanced in years and childless, and God provides Isaac. And the Israelites are stuck in slavery for 400 years, and God delivers them with the Exodus. And then they're stuck at the Red Sea, and they can't move forward, and God parts the waters. And then they're stuck for 40 years in the wilderness, and God gives them food and water, and their clothing doesn't wear out, and their shoes don't fall apart. And then they're stuck at the Jordan River, and God piles up the waters like a heap And then the Israel is besieged and exiled for 70 years and God sends them home. And when it appears that all hope is lost, God is preparing to do some of his best work. So we fast forward a little bit. We see 400 years of silence and then the Messiah arrives on the scene. And 33 years later, we see the darkness of the grave, the finality of death, and then three days later, he's risen again. And the church is persecuted and scattered and yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, turns the world upside down. There's a reminder here to us that God moves in these ways. That he shows his power and his strength and his love and his goodness when it looks like the darkness of the world will overtake us. There's so much more I could say here about marriages on life support, about our struggles with addiction, about a painful past that we can't shake, a battle with guilt and shame over indiscretions that we've committed, our physical health deteriorating, our children wandering from the Lord, financial hardship, career destruction. We could talk about this for a long time this morning. There are so many ways to apply this to our lives. When it looks to you like all hope is lost, when it looks to you like you're weak and insufficient, God is powerful and is just beginning to do his best work. Secondly, it's clear from this passage again that there is a sovereign God ruling and reigning over the events of the world. Nothing in this world can hinder that. Not even superpowers and egomaniacs, which is a good reminder for us today as we watch the comedy of errors that is our global political situation. Nobody can stand against the decree of the Lord. No amount of political maneuvering, no attempt to force our will can stand against the firm and determined plan of God. But in addition to finishing up that passage, we just finished an entire 12-chapter prophetic book. So what are we looking at today? What are the big things from these last three months of our studies, the big themes that kind of rise to the top? And I'm sure you could come up with a lot more, but here are a few that I think the Lord would like to, to our congregation to wrestle with. The events of our lives... And the events on the world stage alike are not chaotic. They're not random. They're not purposeless. They are not a demonstration of a lack of intention. They are not haphazard. They're not reckless. The events of our lives feel that way to us because we don't have an eternal perspective. They are not chaotic. Instead, they're controlled. They're controlled by a loving God who holds you in his hand. They are purposeful. 
The Bible tells us that they are used by God to bring about his plans for us and for others. They're plans to strengthen us, to grow us, to show his power and his glory through our weakness. Ultimately about his plan to bring renewal and reconciliation to all things on heaven and on earth. So even when we cannot understand the specifics, we can rest in the one who holds us who's promised to never leave us or forsake us and has revealed himself as the one who holds the keys to human history. He's not asleep at the wheel. And it looks chaotic to us in the moment. But isn't it true that when you get through that moment and you look back, it always comes through with greater clarity? And you can see how God traced each step, miraculously intervening, Some of you need to hear because your lives are falling apart today that the events of your life are not chaotic. They're not purposeless. They're not random. They're not haphazard. They are laden with purpose. They are dripping with intention, a glorious plan to bring about God's glory in you and through you. Secondly, faithfulness is possible even in exile. Those first six chapters of Daniel were were like my favorite because they were also the easiest, but they were still my favorite. It is possible to stay faithful to God even when opposition and persecution are rising against us. Sometimes we we, we get this feeling like because, because we live in a culture that's not really conducive to our Christian faith, that we can just give up and wave the white flag. You know, you still have the power to stand faithfully in, the, in, in, in opposition, right? You still have the calling of God, the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit to give you the strength today to stand in the face of persecution. And we might find ourselves as the target of fierce opposition, for sure. We have a commitment to a biblical worldview. And when that comes into question, you might be tempted to just quietly choose silence or passivity, the path of least resistance, because you feel it might be the only way. That's a lie. God has called us to these times. What a gift to be the church in this area, in this season. What a privilege to stand for Jesus at a time when it seems the very cultural fabric of our country is just swirling. What a gift to be among that generation, gifted with the stewardship of the gospel in this age. Don't don't lose sight of your calling and the resources at your disposal. God has empowered us with his spirit and his word and we can find strength just like Daniel and his friends to stand in the face of great opposition. And the third final thing, the most important thing that I think we hear in the book of Daniel is this, that the kingdom of God and of his Christ will be established in his time and it will endure forever. That the unseen hand that guides all of human history is none other than the hand of the almighty God. At its essence, this is the message of Daniel. No earthly kingdom can stand against his. No earthly king can surpass his power and his authority and his glory. No human king, even the most wise and powerful, can cast a shadow on the wisdom and the glory of God himself. And for us, for us immersed in these earthly kingdoms, as we watch the rising and the falls of empires, as we watch the arrogance of human wisdom 
As we watch men and women, created beings, attempt to defy God and set their own course, we see, we see the kingdom of this age gaining power and momentum, and we feel the strain of opposition on the kingdom of Christ, and we can still endure with hope. And our hope is what? That one day, in a glorious display, God's kingdom will be fully established, and we will rule and reign with him forever. I want to close with a reading from Daniel chapter 7. Here's what the prophet says. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. And a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. In verse 13 of chapter, chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. That is the essence of the book of Daniel. That's the essence of the scriptures, by the way, that the kingdom of God and of his Christ will endure and reign forever and ever, and all those who are part of his kingdom will rule and reign with him, and nothing in this world can stop it. The gates of hell can't prevail against it. And we have been called for such a time as this to be members of that kingdom here, to push back on the darkness of this world, to proclaim with passion and conviction the glory of the kingdom of God, to be ambassadors for that king, and to trust him come what may. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word. Thank you for this message of the book of Daniel. Thank you for the sure confidence we have in the triumph of the kingdom of Christ. And remind us again that that ultimate triumph means that we can face with confidence every struggle and trial and difficulty we face today. Ultimately, God, in the end, it's already as good as done. Your kingdom will be firmly established. It will overtake all the kingdoms of this world and it will bring an era of peace and tranquility and safety, and health, and security, and joy. And there will be no more sickness, and there will be no more strains in relationships, and there will be no more jealousy and anger and rage. There will be no more sorrow and tears, but it will be life everlasting, abundantly. It'll be joy eternal, as you will dwell again with your people, and they with you. Lord, remind us today of that hope. Root us and anchor us in that hope. Help us to be people who look beyond the cloud of today's circumstances and see the clarity of that coming kingdom. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would empower us today to stand firm for you in this place, in this era, for your purposes. That through the ministry of the gospel in our own hearts, we would see our friends and our neighbors and our family members come to saving faith in Jesus. Grow your church here through us in this time for such a time as this. Strengthen our resolve, our endurance, 
our hope today. In Jesus' name, amen.